I'm delighted to be joined by our Wednesday regulars, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Oldcroft and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent Barry Wood. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Stephen. Good good morning, Stephen. I'm just checking you're there. I think you're in your cabin, aren't you, Barry? I'm in the cabin in the woods in West Virginia. Yes, sir. Sounds wonderful, but still back down to business. And hot off the press announced just before the show is Fitch have downgraded the US credit rating from AAA. How often has this happened before? And AA plus still sounds pretty good. So how big a deal is it, Barry? Well, I don't think it's a particularly good thing, nor do I think it's particularly bad. I think it has to do with the fact that some of the appropriation bills that have been making their way through the Congress have not been approved. There's one on defense that's being held up, and that has given rise to feelings that there could be another government shutdown. I myself don't think that's going to happen, but maybe that was the reason that Fitch acted. Okay, so that sounds fair enough. What would you think, Stuart? Well, it's probably a bit of a preemptive strike on the part of Fitch. It'd be, it, what would be more interesting is whether other ratings agencies will follow that and do similar downgrades. But Barry's probably right. This is something to do with the government debt and the uncertainty over whether or not they can actually pay it. Um, uh, it, it, it could be just a short-term issue. It, it's, very, it's, it's not clear exactly why they've, why they've done it at this stage. Okay. What the, the impact of it will probably not be felt by many people anyway. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, that's does... true, Stuart. I will add this, uh, Stephen, yeah. that I think that um, the physical situation of the United States is dire and becoming worse. When you have higher interest rates you're going to have to pay more for servicing your debt. That hasn't happened yet, but it's in the cards. You know, over the last five years, the government agencies have been very quick to say, hold it, we can borrow money at almost nothing. And so those bonds will indeed be paid back at a very low interest rate, but the higher interest rates are looming and they won't go away. Okay, let's move on to China now, where sluggish growth is lowering consumer confidence, which is caused by concerns they have on the economy. Bearing in mind more bad news seems to come out every day, are we in danger of getting into a vicious cycle here of worsening consumer confidence, leading to worsening economic growth, leading to worsening consumer confidence? And I could go on. What are your thoughts on how this cycle can be broken, Stuart? Uh, I don't know whether it can be broken as such because clearly what's going on is um, fairly fairly substantial. Um, there's a lack of demand in China. The consumer um, price index is is pretty flat, um, it's, and, and therefore um, we're not seeing either inflation or deflation yet, although there is a possibility that could be deflation. But the consumer in China is a very dominant player and uh, has been very much a supporter of the growth of the economy over the last 20 years. But that has now slowed down very considerably. I think that's the surprise, in a way, post the um, COVID shutdowns in China, where many people had forecast that as soon as people were allowed back out again, they would go out and spend, spend, spend. And that's just simply not happened. Um, uh, it's, It's exactly the same situation we're sort of seeing in Hong Kong, when 
Uh, we're seeing tourism um, rebound, but with a very different type of tourist coming to Hong Kong and, and looking and doing things that are entirely different to what had been expected. So, the, the, so it is um, the consumer that's probably uh, not uh, creating the demand in China. It's therefore... Um, not seeing the economic growth that they would have liked to see. Um, but I don't think it's going to be that easy to turn it around. The big issue, the big issue, and I, I, I must sort of stress this as I have done in the last two or three weeks, um, is that the property market sits there with a massive overhang on the, on the whole of the China market, massive debts, and until such time as the property market has been sorted out, which could take a long time, uh, I think we're going to see um, a pretty um, dismal environment going on in China. Yeah, because the results yesterday on China home sales weren't pretty good. Yes, they, I yeah. mean, you, you reported in the, in the news section about Country Garden. We've heard about... Uh, uh, Everbright, and we've heard about a number of other property companies. Um, these are all um, in a pretty bad way currently, and uh, the amount of debt involved is just enormous. Uh, China needs to sort that out and probably prioritise that. Yeah, fair enough. So it looks like the kind of government's hands are tied when it comes to changing consumer confidence. Yeah. So they need to focus on the property with stimulus and on regenerating the private sector. Yes. Okay. Yes, and they've got to get, Stephen, youth unemployment down. Yeah. There's, I mean, this, this whole business, uh, Stuart is absolutely right. It's the property sector. That is the big one. And yet, uh, when you've got declining consumer confidence and people know that exports are not growing as they used to, and, you know, they're still fresh off the stimulus, I mean, off the COVID relief, which is what, now seven months. But, you know, there's got to be some moves to stimulate this economy. Yeah. You, remember, youth unemployment is over 21 percent. That's a massive number. Um, and and so and that is, uh, I mean, not only likely to be a drag on the economy. Ultimately, we know that youth can get very unhappy and yeah. can go out mm. on marches, strikes, and all sorts of things. So, you know, that's going to be a political issue at some point in China if they can't do something about it quickly. Well, they're certainly going to be wanting to prevent that, I'm sure. Yeah. Now. Stuart, you mentioned similarities with um, Hong Kong when you were talking about China there. After Monday's disappointing results on the Hong Kong's GDP, economists yesterday were slashing their forecasts for Hong Kong annual growth. How much of this due to the mainland? And is there anything John Lee can do to try and get GDP growth back on track, Stuart? Well, again, it's not necessarily him that will do it, but he, but he is out there trying to um, come up with new deals. He's just done a tour of some ASEAN markets. He's been to the Middle East. He's, he goes backwards and forwards to China. He's, he's trying to stir up business opportunities, uh, creating relationships and, and, and the like. So in that respect, he's doing the right thing and he's doing what appears to be a pretty good job. But um, the Hong Kong economy has been 
far too heavily weighted towards the tourism sector over the last 10 years until COVID. And then when we stopped getting the 40 to 50 50 million tourists a year visiting Hong Kong, spending their money, um, uh, that obviously had a major impact. Now the tourists are starting to come back. We've had, what, 14, 15 million since the beginning of the year. Um, It's still quite a bit short of the expected numbers. But the thing that is changing is that the tourists are not... Um, the same type of tourists. They want they want to see yeah. different things. They want to have different experiences. They're not a, they're not coming here to buy highly expensive branded goods, all of which they can get in China anytime they wish. They they want to they want to see things that are different. They want to go to a better quality restaurants. They want to have they want to go and see the uh, probably the more famous sites of Hong Kong. Um, so, and, and maybe they don't spend so much money as they used to in, in, the, in, in the arcades. But then uh, the other thing that you, we've got to bear in mind, that the average ti- Chinese tourist spends a great deal less in Hong Kong than would the American, European, Australian or Japanese tourist. And, we've, and Hong Kong has been trying, but not succeeding too much in getting... Um, tourists from those other locations. Yeah, so they're focusing on the other delights of Hong Kong, like hiking, zip lining in the beaches yes. rather than shopping. And we had a story earlier, actually, on the retail sales in Hong Kong, and we have another one coming up in the second half of the show. But let's move on to the Fed now. So the Fed so far seems to be winning the inflation battle. But there was a good Reuters article um, I read yesterday that gave a strong argument that there will still be at least one more rate rise. The key point was Fed officials prefer to err on the side of going, going too far to control control inflation rather than risking its rebound. And of course, core inflation is not where it needs to be. Um, Do you agree with that assessment, Barry? I think that uh, the Fed is winning the battle. And I think that uh, the economy so far indicates it can absorb yet another rate increase. These 25 basis point increases have not been onerous. The stock market is telling us that uh, the future is bright. But uh, we shall see. I think the Fed Fed will be data-driven. They'll get a jobless report coming Friday. The expectation is 100,000 jobs were created in July. If the economy continues as it has for the last month or two, indeed, I think we'll see one more rate hike, and I don't think that'll be a problem. No, I, I entirely agree with you, Barry. They've obviously been listening to our discussions over the last few weeks. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and yes, uh, the U.S. economy appears to be pretty well placed to absorb any, any rate rises. I think the next Fed meeting is in September, uh, and I think that, um, that's possibly when we will see uh, a rate rise. That could be it for the rest of the year. Um, And and bear in mind that any Fed increase is also likely to be a small increase in Hong Kong, too. Okay, and um, I've just got a WhatsApp message from President Biden, who's thanking you guys for your advice. Yeah, well, that's okay, (laughs) Joe. Anyway, just moving on quickly, uh, we'll have to address this question fairly quick. Today's news that Foxconn is investing heavily in India. It does look like a lot of investment is going into India right now. Are its prospects looking good, Barry? 
Well, yes, India is looking good, and India is growing at a much faster rate than China. It is, by one measure, the world's best-performing economy. Of course, they're starting at a very low base. Let's not forget, however, Stephen, that Foxconn had planned a much bigger investment in India, which collapsed. Yeah. The Indian mm. government is notoriously bureaucratic. That's not to say that they're mm -hmm. alone in this respect. Mm. But this big investment didn't come through because Foxconn said, hold it. If we were going to really build additional plant in India, we don't want to have the local partner imposed upon us. We want to have collaboration with that person and, in fact, choose that person, that company. So, yeah, I think this is significant. Apple is pushing Foxconn in that direction. And, of course, Foxconn relies on Apple. So, yeah, I think it's significant, but not a game changer. OK, yeah, I think we're going to have to draw the line too. there. But you, you just say quickly, Stuart, you agree? No, I just agree with that. I think it, it, uh, but the amounts involved are not that big in terms of the uh, absolute numbers that Foxconn can be talking about. Okay, thanks to our guests, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Oldcroft and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent Barry Wood. Barry will be back.